What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Field Stormers. I am your host, Mo Murphy, with my co-host, Walker Bailey, in the building, as always. Walker, what's going on, bro? Not much, not much. Uh, we got to react a little bit to last week on the show with Jeff. Um, and then we're going to kind of do some, not projecting, but just kind of starting to look at bigger picture, you know, playoff, Heisman, some of that stuff, and getting ready for this week. Uh, it's kind of a good time to start doing it since this week has the chance to be kind of dry and not to like shit on the sport, but like last week was a little bit dry. So I'm hoping that this week uh, the level of play is a little bit better than last week was. Yeah, 100%. And that's kind of why we're going to we're going to talk about like the two key matchups that the entire world, whether you're a casual fan or deep inside the sport fan, um, that everybody's going to be watching, one of which is my team. Uh, but we're also going to talk about our top five Heisman candidates. We're going to give our first, basically our first official hero over here at Phil Stormers, um, college football playoff ranking, first four in, um, last two out, or first two out. And then we're going to talk about some a couple teams that we have on upset alert. So we're going to kick it off first with our top five Heisman candidates. So before we get in these matchups, we're going to talk about little hypotheticals, um, some some guys who have been performing at an insane level and where they sit at in this Heisman conversation. So, Walker, I'll, I'll let you have the floor with your top five Heisman candidates. All right. So, I feel like uh, I feel like it won. This one's easy. Um, I mean, I led my list with Hendon Hooker. Uh, right now, he's kind of the only candidate that's had the moment, as we like to say. Like, he's had that Heisman moment. Um, the win over Alabama uh, in Knoxville was something that those fans will never forget, and it was easily the biggest moment in the sport this year. Uh, and they didn't do it in a low-scoring game. I mean, his team scored 52 points, and he was absolutely fantastic. And that's so he's he's the front runner for me right now. Second, I've got C.J. Stroud. Uh, they're undefeated. They're more than likely going to finish the regular season undefeated. I'm not saying that they're just a shoe-in to beat Michigan, but they're going to probably be like a 10-point favorite to win that game. So I'm just going to go ahead and kind of not chalk it up, but I'm going to assume they win that game. If they go 12-0 and and win the Big Ten, Stroud is almost certain, in my mind, to have the best numbers on an undefeated team that would be entering the playoff, theoretically, as the number one overall seed. Um, and those guys tend to be in New York almost every single time. So he's two for me. And then three, I went with Bryce Young. I know that they've got the loss on the schedule and he's been hurt, but some of the stuff we saw in Knoxville, like the inverse of Hooker is if Alabama had made that field goal and Tennessee had missed, we come out talking about Bryce Young's Heisman moment where like he was absolutely phenomenal, made plays that nobody else on the field could have made, carried his team to a win and easily the most hostile environment that any team in the country has faced all season. Um, and scored 40 or score would have had would have had 52 points in the process himself. So I know like we're kind of basing that on hypotheticals, but if Alabama runs the table, um, gets to 12 and one and gets into the playoff, then I feel like he's sitting in New York. And then I feel like that's the clear cut top three for me right now. Uh-huh. And then the last two is is where you kind of get into opinion and nuance and projection. And so at four, I've got Caleb Williams. Um, I know they lost to Utah on the road in a really high scoring game, but if you watch that game, Caleb was absolutely phenomenal. Like he looked the part of, I mean, he was deemed a generational talent at Oklahoma when he replaced Spencer Rattler. And like, to me in that game, like you saw 
everything uh i mean everything that he was hyped to be he was like he was that on the field you know i think that there's a chance they lose again uh at ucla but i feel like that's really the only game i'm looking at that they have a chance to lose um so like i feel comfortable putting him here uh and that they're going to get to 11 and 1 and go to the pac 12 championship which would set a massive stage for him against oregon uh, if I have the divisions right in my head, that would set up a massive stage for them against Oregon. And he would get an opportunity to have that moment on primetime. Because if I remember right, the Pac-12 championship games on Friday, the whole country is going to be paying attention. It's right before the ceremony. So he would have a chance to, to prove himself there. And then fifth, if you pay attention to anything I put on Twitter, if you follow me, if you listen to this show, you should expect this. I'm rolling with Max Duggan. I'm rolling with my guy, Max Duggan, at TCU. He's been phenomenal. He's been the most valuable player on that offense. They're still undefeated. They're going to be heavy favorites to win their next two games against uh, Texas Tech and West Virginia. And they'll have kind of a moment for him uh, where he'll go to Austin to face off with Texas and Quinn Ewers and that high-powered offense. He'll have back-to-back games against Texas and Baylor where if he – performs really well down the stretch here uh we're talking about a potential undefeated Big 12 champion and if that's the case then um that offense has scored so many points and he's done a job that he would probably get heisman love uh honorable mention off tcu i don't think the numbers are going to be there but quentin johnson deserves love i think he's a lock for the blit not a lock but i think he's the leader in the clubhouse for the blitnikoff so you know both of the guys have been awesome uh, there's a lot of guys that deserve to be kind of in consideration for those four and five spots. Those are just the guys that I put there for right now. Yeah. So, I mean, your list isn't far off from mine. Um, obviously one and two, I'll just get out the way. I got Hennon hooker. Number one, I got CJ Stroud. Number two, uh, I think what pri- heading into the week where Hennon hooker had his Heisman moment, the, the betting odds were so against pretty much anybody It was CJ Stroud, who you would have to spend more money to even make a, a dollar at that point. And then you had Caleb Williams, who was the next closest at plus a thousand, but it was also at a time where nobody had had their Heisman moment. CJ Stroud was just playing like the best quarterback in the country. And then Hendon hooker put everybody on notice beating number three, Alabama, the way they beat him. Obviously he had, you know, the offense was insane. They picked apart, you know, Nick Saban's defense. So Hendon hookers one, CJ Stroud's two. I think nobody else has really showed me their, more worthy of it than Stroud outside of Hooker. So, like, there's nobody that I'm moving Stroud out of that two-spot four, at least right now. Um, And granted, we'll get into the game, but it's against Penn State. But, like, he could go nuclear against Penn State, and, like, you could essentially say, like, all right, this is the toughest opponent he had. This would be the closest to his Heisman moment he would have. It just wouldn't be in the same love and fashion that Hendon Hooker had or that Caleb Williams had you know, against Utah had USC won, you would say we would have a different conversation, which we probably would. But I still think like if he just went and demolished Penn State and played absolutely amazing after having a good second half um, against one of the top 10 defenses in the country, I think you'd be like, OK, he wouldn't pass Hooker. But it, to me, it would solidify himself at second and with a setup for his Heisman moment to come against Michigan. Like everybody has a Heisman moment or it projected Heisman moment. And then they have at least another one. Um, I think if he has his against Penn state, then all eyes will be on CJ Stroud, probably more than likely going into the game against Michigan undefeated at home. 
I think, and that would be a true test of like, okay, that could be the stamp. And then he plays amazing in the Big Ten championship. And we know an undefeated Ohio State with a high Big Ten champ with a high-powered offense, their quarterback would at the very least get invited to New York. That's not without the question. I don't see a world where Stroud doesn't make it to New York uh, for a second appearance and possibly still have a chance to hoist it. But Hooker's at one for me as well because they got Kentucky this week and then they turn around and they have Georgia. Like, if he comes out of Kentucky and Georgia undefeated, it will be because the offense is playing absolutely amazing. They're not winning any games on the backs of Tennessee's defense in a low-scoring affair, which means, like, you know, he's had Bama skip a week, basically a bye week where he played absolutely amazing at in, in a half of football, and then he'll have Kentucky and Georgia in great performances against that. He'll have good performances and wins under LSU, Florida, Bama, Georgia, and Kentucky and could have to turn around and play Georgia again in the SEC championship. But that's a hell of a resume for a quarterback to have played elite and got the W in. So that's why Hooker has jumped Stroud for me at number three. I got yo boy. I got Max Duggan, bro. Um, I understand like TC. First off, here's my thing right here, right now. There's, there's a lot of players. This is where, and, and we've talked about it where my problem is the NFL attached to, to college football. And so, like, you're going to tell me you'll take Caleb Williams any day of the week. And you're going to tell me you'll take CJ Stroud and you'll tell me you'll take Hendon Hooker and everything else. But then, like, if I ask you why, you're going to start talking, well, he's going to be a higher draft pick. He's, he's projected top five pick in the NFL draft next year. Caleb Williams is going to be probably the number one pick the next year. Like, that's where you're going to go to argue with me that Max Duggan doesn't deserve to be in there. But all this man has done has played great and won. There is two teams that have, that have a strong resume that have played four ranked teams up to this point. Tennessee, and we give Hendon Hooker all the love because one of his stamp wins is against Alabama and TCU. TCU is the other team that has played, you know, uh, that has played four ranked teams. They are undefeated. Their offense looks explosive, and it's because they have a good quarterback. They're not a good team without a good quarterback. They, they've had some struggles defensively. They've got a lot of points put up on them, but they're able to win shootouts. They're able to put up more points because they have a good quarterback. So Max Duggan is three for me. Number four, he's... I hate to say this, but he's been a guy I've been watching all year. I've been pitching for how good he is. I've had this argument with you, Walker. I've had this argument with a lot of people because their argument comes to, well, he's going to go. He's going to be the first player taken at his position to the NFL draft. I'm talking about right here, right now. Blake Corum is at number four. This man, J.J. McCarthy has been inconsistent at times. I've seen Michigan fans on Twitter complain about, man, we still don't have the quarterback position fixed. Their strength of schedule isn't the greatest, but neither is Ohio State's, right? So I'm not going to knock him for that. And essentially, he's put this offense on his back. He averages over six yards a carry. He's almost at 1,000 yards. He's topped his performance in seven games, what he did all of last year. He has 13 rushing touchdowns. Like, the man has put Michigan's offense on his back, and no matter how dry they look at a moment, he's a big play for a touchdown waiting to happen. Uh, I had this conversation with Francis where he's very similar to J.K. Dobbins. Um, and I think that's a solid comparison as far as what Dobbins was in college is kind of what Blake Corum is. You know, Do we had put the office on Dobbins uh, at one point. He was a lead runner. So Blake Corum at number four. And I'm going to go at a tie for fifth. 
Uh, and I'm going to go with Caleb Williams and, and Bryce Young. I think they're tied at fifth right now. Performance is not what I'm knocking right now. What I'm knocking is the fact that you have taken a loss. Granted, we can play, you know, we can always do the what if and like, well, if things flipped out of the way for Caleb Williams and Bryce Young, they had their Heisman moment, but they lost. And and one of the players, Hendon Hooker, were saying had his Heisman moment against Alabama in a win. So yes, Bryce Young played well enough that if they had won, it's a Heisman moment. But as great as he played, they have a loss. And so when you already have a loss and you're talking about guys who there's a world where they finish undefeated and finish winning their conference undefeated, whether the likeliness of Tennessee getting through the next two weeks undefeated, however you feel about that, like those, my top three guys could all finish undefeated winning the conference and they're the quarterbacks of those teams, which means they probably automatically get a bid to New York and we're arguing about who the fourth one is. Well, that would be between Blake Corum, who would have, obviously, if Stroud is undefeated, Big Ten champ, Blake Corum would have a loss. Then that now he's getting jumped because he is a running back. No matter how much he put his offense, put the offense on his back, Caleb Williams and, and, and Bryce Young, if they're one loss, and I don't know how it shakes, but I'm just saying they already have a loss. So that's kind of how I look at it with them. And then honorable mention is Drake May. He's playing out of his mind. Uh, we talk about how great Hendon Hooker's playing. We talk about how great C.J. Stroud's playing. Uh, he's Drake May has more yards than both of them. He has one less touchdown than C.J. Stroud. I think one or two less touchdowns than Hendon Hooker. Their passing numbers, completion percentage, all that is pretty similar. So essentially, Drake May has been Hendon Hooker or C.J. Stroud at North Carolina. The only thing is, North Carolina isn't the brand that Ohio State is. They're not the brand you know, that Tennessee is like not at Tennessee's brand is back. The hype train around Tennessee is like, man, it's really been good for football. It's always great when those, you know, uh, historical brands have elite years like Tennessee is having. But Drake May is playing out of his mind. And I even reference him for the fact on my show on Up in Flames, me and Walker had talked about college football before we did this show. We had a college football preview and we had some players to watch that nobody's thinking about. And Drake May was the one like, that's a guy I want to see play. Um, he had decommitted from Alabama, went to North Carolina. I feel like ev that had everything to do with him trying to start right away and show what he can do, whether he transfers or not. Different conversation. I know his brother played for, you know, the basketball team. So they got ties to North Carolina, got a lot of love over there. Um, but I think he went to North Carolina and didn't go because he didn't want to sit a year behind Bryce Young. And you see why. Like, Drake May is the type of talent where you're like, man, if he was just hitting behind Bryce Young for a year, his name wouldn't be what it is. So I, I just got to give him that love. So <clears throat> any outside of the Heisman, we're going we're, we're gonna to go into the college football playoff. All right, so the college football playoff rankings, the first official ranking comes out after this weekend. So I figured me and Walker take a crack at it right now. We may or may not use projections because... <clears throat> I'm not going to use projections for the simple fact we're, this is a segment that is going to be here to stay on the show for the rest of the season um, until conference championships are won and we could put out our, for, our our official final college football playoff who's in, who's out prior to the, you know, the official one releasing just to let y'all know where our mind's at on basically a wrap-up of the season. Um, so I'm going to start with this one. My first four in, I got Tennessee one, I got Ohio State two, I got Georgia three, I got Michigan four. My first two out, I got Alabama. Well, I got Alabama at six, and I have TCU at five. Um, now, I think Clemson would be number seven for me, but I'm knocking them because here's the thing. 
also with us releasing our first one, right? Like based on a ranking, the once this drops, like once this officially drops, this is all that matters. Clemson could always have an opportunity to go undefeated, be ACC champs, and find their way in. My only thing is Michigan will probably have a loss. One of Georgia or Tennessee will guarantee to have a loss. But depending on how those games go, my only thing is there's still a world where an undefeated Clemson conference champ still could not get in. They haven't looked apart to me. They, they benched their quarterback in a big-time game. I think they have a loss if they didn't, if the refs didn't throw the game. Walker, I know you agree with me on that game in particular, Clemson-Syracuse. So, like, this isn't a playoff team to me, essentially. Like, I don't, this isn't a national championship contender. And with my first four in, I think so. And then even with my last two out, like, I think Tennessee could win the national championship. I think Ohio State has an opportunity where they could. I think Georgia could. I think Michigan could. But I also think Alabama could. Now, TCU is probably the least likely because when they go up against those brands, it could be a blowout. But TCU is also easy there. TCU, bro, they might get blown out against majority. I think think they get blown out by Ohio State, and I think they get blown out by Georgia. I think they're going to find themselves in a shootout with Tennessee, and Tennessee could be had. Tennessee, to me, has played like the best team in the country as far as based on winning in their resume. But we know that defense is god-awful. And so we know for playing against a high-powered offense like TCU that favors TCU a little bit. We're like, we can make one or two stops. We've proved that. I don't know if Tennessee could do that against a high-powered offense like TCU, but it's all about matchups. So for me, those are my first four in uh, and last or first two out, last two out, however you want to put it. And then I I would have Clemson seven. Basically, in my eyes, having to keep an eye on them, they're going to have to keep earning their way. And basically... They'll get in because somebody's going to drop like flies and drop a game or maybe drop another game. But if I had to, they wouldn't even be my first two out because they've looked the most suspect out of the the six teams ahead of them. Like I could make a case for all of them where I would be beating my brain in trying to stick up for Clemson on why I think they should be in the first four, why they should be one of the four teams right now today anyway. So, Walker, what about your college football playoff rankings right now? Uh, Tennessee won. Ohio State two, Georgia three, TCU four, um, and then Michigan five, Alabama six. Why? Why TCU four? Because I mean, you said it. I mean, they've won four ranked games, and the quality of your resume and the quality of your schedule and the quality of your wins matter. If we're doing this in the way that the playoff committee are going to do it. You know, it's mm-hmm. not about necessarily brands at this point. It may be about that in the end, but it's not about that right now. Um, and they've got four ranked wins. They're undefeated. Um, they're playing in a tougher top to bottom league than, um, than Michigan is. The only reason I put Ohio state over them is just, I think the level of dominance that Ohio state has carried and probably also preseason expectations help a little bit with that. Um, so I, for me, like TCU's won four ranked games, uh, they've got an opportunity to win a few more, uh, depending on where Baylor and Texas sit whenever that whenever that time comes. Uh, and the Big 12 championship. Like, we're talking about a team that could have somewhere between five and seven ranked wins and be undefeated at the end of the year. So if you're even if you're doing a little projecting, like like they're in a position to where they could theoretically, like no, no stretch, have the best resume in college football at the end of the season. Uh, and I'm not saying that gets them put in the number one spot because it probably doesn't but it definitely gets them in the four because they would have earned it at that point. So for me, they're sitting at four. Um, 
And then with, I mean, I listen, Clemson sucks. I mean, <laughs> I like, that's not, they're not a like, they may go undefeated and get in the playoff and Ohio state will beat their brakes off. Georgia will beat their brakes off. Whoever wants to beat their brakes off will beat their brakes off. Um, it's not a very good football team. Really struggled against the Syracuse team that while they played really well, I don't think that's a super, super great football team. Like, I think that's somewhere between probably like the 25th and 30th best team in the country. Mm-hmm. And they struggled at home to beat them and needed officiating malpractice in order to do it. So, <laughs> I, for me, for me, that's a team that even undefeated right now, until you show me something more. And I agree with Jeff. Like Jeff said, he would jump Oregon over Clemson. If they both won out the rest of their schedule, he would put Oregon ahead of them. And I don't know that I can go there, but because I do remember week one, like I do remember what that looks like. And I'm not going to discount that just because Oregon's gotten better. Like, I mean, Oregon can get better and still lose that game 49 to 20 instead of 49 to three or whatever it was. Um, So for me, like that's the thing with Clemson. They haven't beaten anybody good. They don't look good against anybody that it has a pulse. Um, so, I mean, I'm not going to treat them as a national title contender when they've done nothing to earn it. And also their coach, I just really don't like him. So I'm not going to give him any credit for anything. Yeah, I've hit <laughs> a point where I'm not a big Dabble Sweeney fan either, obviously. Well, I mean, but like, listen, so like Florida State, Florida State beats Clemson if they sneak it on the one. They lost that game by six. I mean, that's the reality. Like, I'll give them credit for the North Carolina State one at home. Solid win. Beat them by 10. Deserved it. The road went against Wake. They got significantly outplayed for most of that game. Pretty sure they had less yards, less yards per play. All of the above. So, or no, TCU had more yards per play, less total yards. Clemson was on the field a lot more. Wake lost a game in double overtime that they really had no business losing. So, for me, like... It's not that they don't have good wins. I probably should have them in my top six. It's just the fact that they've been less than impressive in all those wins. Like, I understand there's something to just get the win, but, like, style points count no matter what anybody wants to tell you, they count. And so when you've got teams like TCU who host, and we know now that Oklahoma sucks. We didn't know this at the time, though. When I mean, the team that's ranked in the top ten comes in and you beat them by – you're up 31 or – they were up 24 in the first half when Dylan Gabriel got knocked out. They won the game by 31. So, I mean, you host Oklahoma State and you win a close one, but Oklahoma State's better than any team that Clemson's beat on their schedule. And I'm just using TCU as a reference point because I'm a, I am think that nationally the Big 12 and the ACC are going to get compared when we're starting to do these things in terms of who gets in and who doesn't because those are the two leagues that are fighting along with the Pac-12 to be the third best conference behind the Big 10 and the SEC. Um. And so I think like it's important to draw these comparisons because like Clemson's strength of schedule doesn't just absolutely stink. But I mean, they haven't like, I mean, they got NC State at home, they got Syracuse at home. And like, we're not even really sure that Syracuse is good. So I don't know. Like for me, that's why I can't really rank them super high. Um, you know, Michigan has better, has a better win. Uh, Alabama, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt, even though they've looked kind of shitty um and then like ohio state georgia and tennessee speak for themselves so that's that's my six i mean if clemson wins out like they're obviously going to move up these things just naturally um and if it got down to it and we got into a place where at the end of the season 
uh, you know, Alabama and Clemson both won out, I would probably have to switch Clemson at Alabama and put Clemson ahead of Alabama because I do understand how hard it is to go undefeated in this sport. It's incredibly difficult, no matter what your schedule looks like. So um, there's upside for Clemson to move up, but right now I want to punish them for how shitty they look on the field. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. Like, I'm not high on Clemson. They haven't looked the most impressive. Like, you could show me their numbers, but here's my thing. Recency bias, right? And the last time I seen Clemson, you benched your quarterback. You didn't unleash your backup quarterback. It's not like he threw a bunch of passes. I think he threw like six passes. Basically ran the ball and, and was able to basically hold off Syracuse as opposed to putting a foot on their necks because they benched their quarterback and they're like, this is an opportunity to have our guy. Um, DJU sounds like he's going to continue to be the starter. I think Dabo's full of shit. So I'm not 100% sure that they're going to continue to rock with DJ, DJU, but he's saying all the right things that you want. What does Clemson do well? Uh, they get to the quarterback. Outside of that, like they do got some two solid defensive ends, but outside of that, like if they're not bringing it, if they're not bringing it home they're defensively, not, if they are getting, getting beat in the trenches, if they're and like Syracuse in the first half was winning, like those defensive ends could be mm -hmm. home. Then if that's the case, which if you put them in a playoff scenario, that's probably going to be the case, at least more often than it is on the average ACC weekend, which is true on the other end probably too. But they're not overly proficient in either on either line of scrimmage. Their secondary sucks. Like that's been noted now. Like teams, that's where teams are trying to expose them is in the secondary. They can't decide who they want to play quarterback. We're to the point of comparing one quarterback to Steph Curry after benching him. So that speaks for itself. The running back room is good. The running back room is good. Shipley is good. The backup is good. I can't remember his name. So Sorry, Clemson fans, but like I, I've seen him play. I know he's good. Um, and the receiver room's okay. It's not great. Like it's fine. I mean, like they don't, they're not elite at anything. They don't do anything at an elite level. And if we're sticking to this stupid ass four team playoff, then you have to be elite. You have to be elite to get into this exclusive playoff. And until they show me that they are elite at something, I'm going to do every like I'm going to keep them out until I absolutely have to put them in. And if they keep winning, that's probably going to happen. So, yeah, I think that and that's what I was saying with them. Me even having them as seven is like they're just a team where as long as they keep winning, the chips probably fall in their favor. And it's hard to take a Clemson team coached by Dabo undefeated ACC champs and keep them out, knowing that a couple teams ahead of them are going to have a loss, if not gain a second loss um, like Bama basically has to win the SEC championship to not be a two-loss team. Um, and that could be a tough role, whether they have to play a rematch versus Tennessee, which I think if I'm Bama, that's the more likely scenario I want is a rematch against a team that I went toe-to-toe -to -toe with and was a field goal opportunity away from beating as opposed to having to play the basically the powerhouse right now of the SEC in Georgia. Um, so if I'm Bama, that's what I'm hoping is I'm hoping either Tennessee drops to Kentucky this week or or Georgia beats them because, it, and if I'm if I'm Tennessee, or yeah, if I'm I'm saying all this right, I'm getting lost in my thoughts. But if I'm Bama, like that's the more likely scenario. I want to know that I have a higher chance of winning out. I'm not saying they can't beat Georgia, but what I'm saying is playing a new opponent is just different. It, it's a different type of get up as opposed to that bulletin board material. You take everything Tennessee did to you. After they beat you, you use all that. It, it, and then just having to beat a team twice, especially in college football, when you're that evenly matched up, 
and you come down to 52 to 49, like that's that's tough um, for Tennessee to have to repeat again. So I think Bama will try to play Tennessee again. And here's my problem with the fourth spot is what are we going to do? Let's just for this exercise, let's say Bama goes 12 and one and wins the SEC and Georgia beats Tennessee. It's in Athens. We'll give Georgia the game. So they all they go twelve and one and lose the SEC. Clemson runs the table. TCU runs the table. Um, Ohio State runs the table. Who's getting left out? Clemson. You're gonna leave out an undefeated ACC champ. You gonna leave out an undefeated Big Twelve champ when the Big Twelve clears the ACC? All year. I mean, I don't. I don't know that either of them get left out. I mean, are we sure that they don't leave out a twelve and one non-conference champ, Georgia? This is my problem with this. We shouldn't have they've to have. Done it, they've showed us in history, though, that you can lose the SEC championship and still compete in the playoffs. That's where I say the SEC does get the benefit of the doubt, whether you agree with it or not. They've showed us it's been done. Bama has, and, and Ohio State has also done this, but it's never been at the expense of two. Two Big Ten teams, but Ohio State went twelve and one, lost to Penn State, who turned around. Penn State won the Big Twelve or Big Ten championship, but had two losses, so they let Ohio State in that year because that was their only loss, and it was a close loss to the future Big Ten champ. With with Georgia, we've seen Georgia and Alabama be in the playoffs multiple times. Obviously, if they're playing each other, only one of them won the conference. So yes, I could see if Georgia, if Bama beats Georgia. Georgia's sitting at 12 and 1 now in a close loss. I think they get the nod over Clemson for the fact Georgia is the the defending national champions, lost in a close one. You give the benefit of the doubt that Bama had everything to play for. They had a chip on their shoulder. They lost to them in the national championship. You know they're going to swing that narrative that way. And so now it comes down to who misses out TCU or Clemson. And if you're asking me, I'm putting TC if TCU's undefeated and they win the Big 12 championship, I'm putting them in for the simple fact their resume is a thousand times better than what Clemson's will look like at the end of the season. If we, and I'll say this now, I'm going to get in front of it. If we get to that point and Clemson gets over TCU, I am I might like have to drive to Grapevine. <laughs> I will legitimately have problems. Yeah, I and I think it will be a problem because, and I look at it, Play, we'll play the projection game real quick before we get into these two matchups quickly. At the end of the season, the Big 12 is going to look a lot better than the ACC. When seasons end, at the end of everybody playing their 12-game slate, going into the conference championships, the Big 12 is going to look a lot better than the ACC. The Big 12 has consistently had more ranked teams than the ACC. They may finish... The college football playoff top 25 with more ranked teams than the ACC. TCU will probably have beaten pretty much every one of those teams that finished the season ranked. One of which they probably have beaten twice. So it's tough for me to say if if I if I think the SEC will get the benefit of the doubt, you put Bama and Georgia in. The whole world will want to see Bama and Georgia in. Why not? Do you want to see Bama, Ohio State, TCU, and Clemson? Because I don't. Because you're putting what? Ohio State plays Clemson. We already think they beat the piss out of them. Bama plays TCU. Maybe that's a great game. Maybe. But I'm just saying, like, I don't want to see both of TCU and Clemson in there. And it's more so Clemson because I'd at least allow 
through the gauntlet that, that, that TCU has went through, I at least allowed him a shot to prove, hey, the Big 12 can't hang with the SEC or Big 10 in a sense. But the Big 12 doesn't have a lot of shots outside of Oklahoma to prove that, let alone the Big 12 doesn't typically have a re- Oklahoma typically doesn't have a resume that TCU would have being undefeated Big 12 champs. This is the best the Big 12 has been essentially in the college football playoff era. When we're looking at how many ranked teams, how many good teams, how many teams are on the outside looking in, like, like there's still opportunity if teams start dropping games here and there. And I know it's not likely, but there's still opportunity. Like Oklahoma State could be a one loss Big 12 champ that we're given a pitch to get in because we got a one loss SEC champ. Who knows? We have a one loss Big 10 champ. The likely scenario of that happening isn't high, but it's possible. Like, you know, so I th- I don't know. I just I Clemson sucks. Okay. Like that's that's where that's where we're at. Clemson sucks. I'm not giving them credit. So we're gonna move on to the two matchups. We get to talk about my Buckeyes again. Uh, we talked about yeah. them briefly, and we'll talk about them briefly. We're not going to spend a lot of time on them, but we talked about them briefly just because me and Walker don't get a lot of opportunities to talk about both of our teams in a weekend, so we figured cover over their games real quick. Obviously, one game ended a lot different than the other, but we still wanted to just touch over it because it wasn't a huge matchup that everybody wants to hear about. Well, Ohio State versus Penn State is basically one of the two, probably the second of the two, Biggest matchups um, this weekend, I think Kentucky versus Tennessee is probably the biggest matchup. Now, granted, it's number two number two um, versus number 13. So I get it from that standpoint as opposed to, what, number three versus number 19. 19. So I get from a rank standpoint. But, like, first off, Kentucky-Tennessee is a huge in-conference in rivalry in the first place. And so is Ohio State versus Penn State. But I think what dimmed it down is Penn State got the brakes beat off of them by Michigan. And so I think that ruined how we look at Penn State going into this game. And I think it ups the stakes on how we expect Ohio State. So before I give my take on this game, Walker, what are your thoughts on Ohio State versus Penn State? I just feel uh, this feels like the nail in the coffin for Penn State to me. I think that they're I think I think we said it best on Jeff's show the other night. They're fine. They're not great. They're not even really particularly super good. Um, they're pretty average. Although I did think the I did think the blind resume I sent you of Sean Clifford and C.J. Stroud was hilarious. I, that doesn't mean I think Sean Clifford's better than C.J. Stroud. I just think it was fun with numbers. Um, but I mean, like, listen, like this is a type of game where if Penn State wants to have any chance, like, a you've got to play well defensively. Like, you can't give up. I mean, you can't give up into the 40s and 50s and think you're going to win because that's simply not going to happen. Um, you have to keep it kind of in the twenties and or low thirties. And then Sean Clifford has to have, he has no chance at winning the Heisman, but he has to have like that level of performance. Like it has to be like an elite quarterbacking performance um, where you come out of that thinking, damn, like Sean Clifford just played the best game of his career and he won that game. And for me, that's just so many things that have to go right. And to me, they're improbable. Like I think Ohio state wins this one by like 17 to 21. Um, it may be ugly at first. We know Ohio state likes to start slow. Um, but I just I expect him to pull away late and take care of business or, and put together a complete effort and kind of like this feels like the assert your dominance win where like they would match the biggest win on Michigan's schedule where you can be like all right like you know Michigan did the same thing at home the difference is we came to Happy Valley and did it too so yeah to me like to me that's kind of a feather in the cap for Ohio State I mean I don't think it's like a massive thing because like other teams still have better wins like I mean whether it be Tennessee. Um, I'd really just Tennessee, uh, TCU. TCU, TCU, yeah, TCU, yeah, they do. TCU does. Um, 
so yeah, no, I mean, that's it right there. I mean, I think it's a feather in the cap. I think it's a statement win. Um, I still think Ohio State's the best team in the country. Like I've said they were going to win the national championship preseason. Haven't changed my mind yet. So uh, that's where I sit. Yeah, I mean, for me, so going into this game, I think the most dangerous thing for Penn State is the fact that Ohio State started off slow and received a little bit of criticism. And, and I mean, Ohio State wins 54 to 10, and there's a lot you could take away to not have been happy about, whether it's being a fan, whether it's being somebody on the outside looking in. Like, it's a game of a tale of two halves. Like, you struggled to put touchdowns on the board. They were field goals. You still were scoring points. You still were getting in the red you know, you still were getting in the red zone. The only team in the country that no matter when they get in the red zone, they put points on the board, albeit touchdowns or field goals. Ohio State is perfect in the red zone. But against a team like Iowa, you like to see those field goals be touchdowns. Like, but and, and you look at it and you'd be like, man, the whole narrative of the game could have changed. If Ohio State, those four field goals were touchdowns, Ohio State's up like 42 to 6 at half or 42 to 10. At halftime, and you're like, okay, we know second half Kyle McCord's going to come in, but it wasn't. Um, you played your starters probably a little bit longer than you expected. Now, granted, I, I wouldn't be surprised if statistics and a, and a little bit of, you know, a little oomph on people's resumes, like a Marvin Harrison Jr. who who could be playing for the Bolitnikov, you know, C.J. Stroud who could be playing for the Heisman. Like, let's put a little oomph. Let's not pull you in the full fourth quarter because they absolutely dominated the third quarter. But, hey. We'll play you till midway. We'll let you get your numbers up a little bit because of the lack of play in the first half. And then we'll play it like, hey, we didn't play good. We needed some more experience. We needed we needed to capitalize. We needed to nip a couple things in the bud. But I think it was more a statistical thing. But no coach can ever say it because then it's all, oh, you're just, you're a sore winner at that point. Like, uh, you care about your guys' stats and the, instead of the integrity of the game. Um, but I think Ohio State's going to come out fast. Um, they, their defense show, and I know... Iowa's offense is atrocious, so I am not saying that Ohio State made a statement on how good their defense is because of the dominance against Iowa, but like I told you, Walker, when we when we were previewing that game, I said, if Ohio State wants to prove that their defense is great, then what are they supposed to do? Shut down a terrible off. Like you're, if you play a terrible offense and you have a great defense, all you can do is make the offense look terrible. And that's exactly what Ohio State did. Like, they only got three points scored on them. They crossed the 50-yard line four times. They gave them a touchdown defensively. They asserted their dominance, which it's not, oh, yes, Iowa is one of the worst offenses in the country. But if you're a top defense, if you're considered a good, sound defensive team, then you make one of the worst offenses look like one of the worst offenses in the country. And so I think they're going to be able to stop Penn State. Granted, Sean Clifford is better uh, um, than Petrie. Over there at Iowa, Beatrice, how do you say his name? Over there at Iowa, Sean Clifford is better. I think their running backs are better. I do think they have a better offense, but the formula I've seen Michigan put on is they just physically dominated Penn State, and I think Ohio State's going to be able to do the same thing. And the difference why we seen Michigan, they weren't Michigan was up what sixteen to fourteen at halftime, and you and me talked about it, and both said Michigan's going to pull away in the second half. For the simple fact, they absolutely dominated Penn State in all aspects of the game. More yards, more first downs, murdered Penn State in the trenches. They just weren't finishing drives, or they made a bonehead mistake as they were marching down the field. And then they established dominance in the second half. I think Ohio State will do the same thing, except I think they come out swinging a little bit better earlier and don't shoot themselves in the foot with some of their mistakes. But I think Ohio State wins big. I think they need to win big. 
Um, and I think Ohio State is at an advantage in the simple fact this is a day, daytime game. Even if it's a whiteout, it's not the same as if it's a night atmosphere in Happy Valley with a whiteout. So I think Ohio State benefits even more. One, they're already the better team, even though they're on the road, and it's not going to be as hostile as a 12 o'clock kickoff, I think, with Penn State, even if it's a whiteout, as opposed to how it is playing on the road, at Happy Valley, a nighttime game. Everybody knows that's one of the best atmospheres to play in is when Ohio State, does, like those are one of the most craziest games you watch as far as from a fan standpoint when it's a whiteout in Happy Valley against Ohio State. Not say there's other atmospheres that match up to that, but that's one of the most insane as well. So I think Ohio State handles business, takes care of business. I think C.J. Stroud looks good from beginning to end, however long he may play. I'm hoping he doesn't have to play the fourth quarter. So real quick, Kentucky, Tennessee, you're an SEC country. Take this one away. Yeah, I mean, it's a rivalry game. These two teams just absolutely despise each other. <laughs> the fan bases just absolutely despise each other. It's a, it's one of the it's one of the more underrated, most bitter rivalries in the sport. I mean, it's it's one that, you know, it's one of those that you could argue is not a rivalry because Tennessee always wins. Kentucky has won has won this matchup three times since 1985. So they've lost. I guess I don't know. I, you can do the math. Um, It'll be so it's 37 years. They've lost their three and 34 in their last 37 against Tennessee. So we'll see. I mean, I think that I think that this has all the makings of a really good football game. Uh, I think Kentucky has the formula to be competitive against this Tennessee team. You know, the same, not same exact, but um, the early version of this Tennessee roster last year. Uh, Kentucky got him in Lexington and Tennessee won the game, but it was a 45 42 shootout just absolute uh, instant classic SEC game last year. So I don't see any reason we can't do that again just because Kentucky has the formula. Like, I mean, if they can run the football against Tennessee and be physical and control time of possession, like they can wear that Tennessee defense down and uh, and stay on the field and keep Tennessee's offense off the field. Uh, and the problem with Tennessee's offense in matchups like this is just, you know, Hendon Hooker can be explosive. He can be elite. But if you go on these – three play 75 yard drives and you're on the field for a minute 15 and Kentucky comes back out on the field for seven minutes and puts up seven points. And then you go on another quick drive at some point, it just, it wears you down. It wears you out. Uh, and that's going to be the formula for Kentucky and Kentucky does a good job at kind of limiting some of the extracurricular stuff from quarterbacks. They do a really good job at uh, containing quarterbacks. Saw the stat this morning where, you know, Florida came in where Anthony Richardson was top three in the country in scrambling yards for Florida coming into that game. Uh, and they held him to like 12 yards or something like that rushing. Mm -hmm. So if he, so if I think if you can keep Hendon Hooker in the pocket, um, he's still certainly a incredibly dangerous from there. Uh, but if you can just kind of keep the plays and keep the uh, style of play structured uh, where you kind of know what's coming and you don't get into these scramble drills where kind of anything can happen, then I think Kentucky can get a few stops. And if they can get a few stops, they'll be in this thing at the end. Yeah, I think when it comes to this game, um, I'm, I'm going to put it like this. I'm just be straightforward. The next Josh Allen better have yeah. the game of his fucking life against a bad defense. Yeah. Like, I'm just saying, like, that's all I'm saying is in Will Levis, yes, he has NFL potential. It, it's kind of raw a little bit. You still think, goes to the right situation. But all I'm saying is like a lot of quarterbacks have had their way with Tennessee's defense, um, including Bryce Young. And some of these draft analysts have come out and said, you know, Mel Kuyper specifically has come out and said, I'd take Will Levis number one. Well, if he's the number one quarterback heading into this draft and he, he rips apart a bad defense, period, point blank, 
Uh, that's and I'm not saying they have to win this game, but at the end of the day, because Tennessee is just as high power, Tennessee's more high powered offensively um, overall, especially with those wide receivers. And I think Tillman's coming back this week. I think. Well, and I'll say this about Kentucky too: it's the most underrated group of wide receivers in the conference. It's they're incredibly good at wide receiver. Barry and Brown's a weapon on special teams. True freshman. Um, he's got kick return touchdowns. He's got he had a partner. Yeah, he had a partner turn touchdown. I know for sure that got called back against Mississippi State. That was going to the house regardless of the flag. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the guy's an absolute weapon. God, I watched him firsthand run back like four kicks inside the thirty yard line against Ole Miss. So, he's a weapon on screens. Tavion Robinson's really good. Uh, the transfer from Virginia Tech. Uh, and then they've just, I mean, they've got some dudes on that side of the ball. And then Chris Rodriguez was the leading returning rusher in the SEC. And he got like, you know, the the body bruises and the body shots kind of start to pile up like over the course of a season. And like this dude's way more fresh than everybody else because he missed the first four games. Mm-hmm. So, like he's still pretty fresh as far as this thing goes. And they're coming off a bye week where they got had a chance to get healthy. Um, if Tennessee is going to get stops defensively, it's going to, they're going to have to take advantage of this bad Kentucky offensive line and get pressure on Levis. Um, I would think Levis is pretty healthy after the week off. You know, he played against Mississippi State with the turf toe, uh, played really well, got, had the week off to rest again. So, I mean, you would think that, uh, as long as he didn't re aggravate and make it worse against Mississippi State, that he'd be 100%. Um, I'm really, really intrigued by this game. I like, I'm going to be like sitting down, nothing else going on. Like I'm going to be locked in. Yeah. 100%, especially me too. Um, uh, on the night with it being a night game and you know, I already have a couple celebratory drinks in my system from Ohio state, just beating the piss out of Penn state. So real quick, before we close out, we ain't going to spend a lot of time on this upset alert. Walker, who's your team you got on upset alert this weekend? <laughs> I mean, we just talked about it. I'm putting Tennessee on upset alert. Like, I'm buying in here. Like, I don't know that Kentucky wins the game. I'm not uh, – but I think they have a better chance than the experts think. Um, you know, 12.5-point underdog, you know, I'm going to have financial investment in Kentucky plus 12.5. Uh, I think they keep this thing uh, – I think they keep this thing to a one-score game and it's close all the way to the end. I think you could be looking at a who has the ball last type of game again in Knoxville. Um and I think Will Levis has a monster game. Like, I think this game's high scoring. I think we're playing this thing in the 30s, maybe the low 40s. Uh, and Kentucky finds a way to keep it close, if not win the game outright. Yeah, call me high as hell, but I think I'm going to take Notre Dame beating Syracuse. Um, I think Syracuse yeah, I think Syracuse is on upset alert. First off, when a team has a lot of momentum and gets knocked back, especially a loss where you feel like you should have won, you feel like you got cheated a little bit, it's like, how do you bounce back in, like, in these elite programs, we know they can bounce back with these elite coaches that we know have been there before and rally the troops to bounce back. Um, and I think Notre Dame obviously isn't a good team, um, but I think they could play well enough to take advantage of a Syracuse kind of who may came, come out feeling sorry for themselves. Like, yes, this is a home game, so it's a road game for Notre Dame. But I think like Syracuse, you could see a, a totally different team where like they might come out and feel sorry for themselves. But now that I pick Notre Dame to win, Syracuse wins by 42. Um, it progressively looks like we talk bad. about this all the time. We talk about losing games twice, man. Like we talk about losing games twice where you just, you lose those gut wrenching games and you feel like you maybe like, you know, you gave one away and then you come back the next week and you still haven't gotten over it and you don't play your best and say what you want about Notre Dame. I know they have the shitty losses and they haven't been good this year, particularly, but it's still a talented bunch. And when they, 
play up and they play their best game, then it's still a pretty good team. Like we saw that in Columbus. Um, Drew Pines developed a lot over the last few weeks. Um, he looks a lot better than he did when he came in and started that first game against Marshall. So, listen, I don't think you're crazy. Like, I mean, the Carrier Dome, too, it's going to be a fast track. Like, Notre, it's, there's not really going to be any weather elements to deal with in there. Um, you know, I just – I think we, this is one where Syracuse could lose twice. Or lose yeah, and I think Notre twice. Dame – I think this could be, like, <clears throat> Marcus Freeman's debut, like, signature win this year where, like, okay, things are on the up and up because you can – especially as a Notre Dame fan, you can feel like, okay, Syracuse is a good team. We got a good win under our belt this year. We'll be bowl eligible um, in a couple of weeks. Like, I think they'll definitely be a bowl eligible team. But then that's that signature win to build momentum, recruiting, all that – you know, all that kind of stuff as a first-year head coach. Like, yes, you've had some bad losses, but turn it around. You beat a ranked Syracuse team on the road, and things look a little more promising. Like, okay, like, it's not all bad in South Bend at this moment in time. Like, it's been bad, but we could be on the up and up focusing on what we could control for the rest of the year. And I think they could start that in this game. So, before we go, Walker, let everybody know where they can find you, follow you, all that good stuff. Yes, follow me at WalkerBailey818 on Twitter and follow all the good people at OffTheBallNetwork.com. We're doing this show. Chris and I are going to start One Shining Pod back from college basketball, I think, next Wednesday, I think a week from today. Um, so we'll have that going on. Uh, I think the goal is to kind of make it the college basketball version of this show. Um, and so we're starting that Wednesday where we can run both of them on Wednesdays and you can get your fix because, I mean, we're two weeks out of basket college basketball season. Uh, so we need to start kind of getting folks ready for what's coming there. Um, yeah, and then follow everybody else at offtheballnetwork.com where you can, uh, you can really get anything you need. Uh, lots of NBA content coming out there. Uh, right now um so just go check all that out and go check out the site at offballnetwork.com uh follow all the off the ball guys on twitter yeah 100 so you can follow me at mo underscore cheese 15 be sure if you're a first time listener subscribe review rate give us a good rating unless you think we suck which is a possibility because you put us two bozos in or you know you put us on the microphone and anything could come out but uh i appreciate everybody for tuning in Listening, go to offtheballnetwork.com, like Walker's <coughs> said, for all your sports needs and entertainment. And I just want to give a special shout-out to my guys, the Hoopers. They've been hooping, staying consistent, putting out NBA content. So anything NBA that you want to hear from the Hoopers, make sure you go check them out. Hoopers Pie, anywhere you get your podcast. Shout-out to Fresh and Dub. And on that note, we will catch you next week on another edition of Field.